What's going on, everyone? Welcome to a special edition of Confessions of a Native Son. I'm your host, Mike Stedman, Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and aspiring author who enjoys thought-provoking and engaging dialogue about race, culture, and business. We're doing something a little bit different today, uh, given the state of current events in the world over the death of uh, George Floyd, COVID-19, the riots taking place all across the country, and we just felt like it was a time to... Uh, to come on the platform and just share some insights with you. And so what we're doing is we're pulling from behind the scenes, our co-producer, uh, founder of Dope Coffee, and uh, just really good friend, Mr. Mike Lloyd, uh, to share his thoughts and perspectives with us uh, on the platform today. We thought it was important to do this for a couple of reasons. One, we haven't published an episode in the last two weeks because we're in the midst of our Always Faithful series where we were sharing my experience as a Black Marine Corps uh, infantry officer. And so we're really trying to focus on getting that right. And then uh, this happens, right? And uh, instead of just kind of sitting silent, um, because I'm sure people are hitting us up left and right, wanting to hear our perspectives on what's going on in the world, um, how we view things, and just giving them insight. We just thought it was important to come on here and uh, just kind of let you all hear from us. Because me and Mike both served together in the Marine Corps. We're both Marine officers. Uh, both deployed to Afghanistan, both entrepreneurs, and are both taking an active role in giving back to the Black community in some way. We're very well versed in history and the challenges that we face. And so um, we wear a bunch of different hats. And so I'm super excited to get him on here to share this platform with me today, which we usually don't do because he's just behind the scenes, producing the beats, helping me with the audio, helping me frame the episodes. But uh, really excited to get him on here to, to share his voice and his perspective. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Mike Lloyd to the platform. Yo, what's going on, Mike Stedman? Man, brother, pleasure pleasure having you on here. Yes, it's good to come from behind the scenes, man. It's a, it's a chaotic environment out here in the world right now. And uh, I know you, just like me, bro, we we looking around right now. We are trying to, you know, get our bearings and figure out, hey, where's the country going? Where's our community going? Where's the government going? It's a uh, it's it's quite a time to be alive, man. So glad to be on here. Really glad to have a chance to get in front of the audience, man. Uh, I thank you guys for how much you support the podcast. Right, this is a this is a rare opportunity for young black men such as you know you and I, uh, especially as marine officers, to give our two cents to the world. And um, yeah, I'm ready to get into it, bro. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna do things a little bit different this episode. Usually we try to to edit the audio up nice, nice for you all, add the little music and stuff like that. But for this one, I think um, since we haven't published an episode in like two weeks, we're going to try to record this and get this out to you all as soon as possible. We're also not going to follow a traditional format. I usually have an outline for these shows. You know, um, uh, we have this nice flow to it. But for today, I just want it to be raw and I want it to be unscripted. And I just kind of want to come on here and uh, and just share our perspectives and, and talk to you all about you know, what we're feeling and how we're approaching the situation and hopefully empower you all out there to kind of have some empathy to stuff that unfortunately has been going on for hundreds of years. You know, it's sad that, you know, it takes a, a, a black man to get choked out on national television for nine minutes before people understand that, you know, color is an issue in this country. And uh, while many people out there are seeing color for the first time, you know, we've lived with it our entire lives. And uh, yes. that was one of the reasons that led me to do this podcast in the first place. And mm -hmm. so uh, real quick, what I'm going to ask you to do is uh, let's go ahead and let Mike introduce himself 
um, tell you all about, uh, you know, how me and him met in the Marine Corps, how we came together to do this podcast. We'll give a quick shout out to our sponsors and then we'll start diving deep into to what we want to talk about. Yeah, guys. So my name is Mike Lloyd. I also go by Creative Mike, the rapper, uh, founder and CEO of Dope Coffee. You know, I created Dope Coffee, you know, a little bit over a year ago with the emphasis of elevating and uplifting communities of color. Um, and for the longest time, folks struggle to really understand what I meant when I said elevate. Right. And when you look at where we are today, it's quite clear. You can look around and see that communities of color lag well behind. And so Dope Coffee is just very relevant for me now. Uh, where did that story start, though, man? We were on LinkedIn a couple years back, uh, well, really a couple months back, and uh, I shared that story about you and I having coffee in Afghanistan. Um, that was one of the, I want to go back. I want to go back. <laughs> I got to go back. I gotta, go deep. Yeah. yeah. Um, you and I uh, first meeting together at the basic school. Uh my first experience in the Marine Corps as a, as a black male. And, you know, even if I take a step back from that, I was leaving grad school in 2009, 2009, 2010 as a Marine officer. And uh, I know you say you want to get into your intro and all that stuff too. So I didn't want to recommend No, let them know, let them know. Yeah. So, so 2009, 2010. And one of the things that's really come to light to me right now is that I couldn't get a job in 2010. Okay. I, I was, I was finishing college with a, with a master's degree and I was looking around in America and I said, I need employment. I just had a kid. I need a family. And there was no way to do that other than serving my country. And I was already patriotic. So I joined the Marine Corps, man. I jump into the Marine Corps. I go through this whole process and then I meet you. Um, and we started uh, what I would consider to be a lifelong friendship under circumstances that really highlight exactly what the polarization is about in America right now, black identity, because you and I were two black people on a spectrum at a certain place in a certain time, man. So, uh, yeah, man, we got, we, we go way back to the basic school, man. We, we deployed Afghanistan together, like you said, life-changing moments for us. Um, but then we came home, bro. And, uh, we came home like they came home in world war two to a country where we had a knee on our neck and, uh, that's who I am now, right? I'm the I'm the I'm the patriot. I'm the the American loving person who's willing to sacrifice um, in a country that I don't necessarily feel uh, reciprocated, right? I don't necessarily feel like I'm gonna get that love back that I would that I would show. Yeah, no, man, and uh, I understand. And just so y'all know, like when he say we go back, listen, me and Mike were in a platoon, of probably about fifty people. We were the only two black people. Yes. Right. And so like you just have that's a thing when black people go places, you better believe we look around the room and see who looks like us. And so automatic, you know, there was that connection there. And I look back at that time, man, I was straight out of college. I was coming out of Naval Academy, just fired up and ready to go. And then here was Mike, a little bit older, had kind of been in the world, a little bit more confident. And uh, man, I just I was jealous of you. You know, I was just like, damn, man, everybody love Mike. Mike is just being himself. I feel like I'm trying to fit in you know i'm trying to find my place but it's funny because we reflect on those conversations and you're like look i had already been out there i was older you know i yeah. had a wife had a kid so yeah. i wasn't there i was like a just damn near still a, a baby in some regards of you know coming out of that college bubble and stepping into you know american society you know um so it's real 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 interesting stuff and man we're gonna get you back on here to even go deeper into that stuff but for for Let's just jump into today because people want to hear what we have to say about what's going on in the world. So we'll yeah. start this episode off like we do all others is giving a confession. 
Okay. I'll let you go first. Can you tell our audience a confession of yours? Yeah. Um, I have struggled with being a black man and having relationships with white people in the context where they don't understand my blackness. And that's been a big struggle of mine because I know these are humans, bro. The same way I'm expecting them to treat me human. Um, so I have to confess, I've struggled with that in ways that I've, I've been between reconciliation, forgiveness and rage. Right. I, 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 I span the spectrum depending on the, the hour of the day or the day of the week, man. And uh, I must I confess to that, not because I plan on changing that. Right. It's a part of this process I'm going through as a person and as I'm grieving. Um, but it's been tough been very, very tough. Appreciate that. And I'm going to give I'm going to give you all two confessions on my end. Number one, when I first heard about what happened to George Floyd, I didn't pay much attention in the news because I already expected it, right? Like, this just happened so much with uh, black men and the police that when I first heard about it, I just was like, another day, another dollar, right? This is what they do. I don't expect, I didn't expect anything different, right? Um, So that's the first thing. It wasn't until I saw the video that I realized we were facing something a little bit different because the whole world had seen that. Because I was getting calls from people saying, hey, how are you doing right now? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. They're like, you're not worried about what's going on? I was like, man, that's what they do. Exactly. So that's my first confession. And the second confession I have is I'm slightly agitated, to be quite honest, by all the people out there that haven't seen color before. You know, and it's like all of a sudden, you know, there's been this saying of, oh, we don't see color. I only see one America. They've never seen color their entire life. And now all of a sudden, because of what's going on in America, People are forced to see color for the first time in their life. And it's yeah. like it shouldn't take it. It shouldn't have taken our cities on fire and to watch yeah. a man get choked out on uh, national television for nine minutes for you to see it. Right. That was one of the biggest frustrations for the longest time. Like guys like me and Mike, college educated Marine Corps officers, you know, what I'm saying uh, very well read. When we come to people and we talk about these issues of systematic oppression uh, police brutality, all the stuff facing our community, people were still treating it like it was a myth. And yeah. in terms of people being able to speak to it, you should have listened to us because of the value we already bring, like our track record. We're not trying to, we don't want to make America bad. You know, we <laughs> want to make America better. So it's the frustrating piece of people not seeing color. You didn't see color because you chose not to see it. Let me let me jump in here on you, Mike. Listen, yeah. let me tell you what that not seeing color let me tell you what it does to you, man. When, when you're going, when you're, when you're facing something, right. When you're, when you're facing probably the greatest adversity and the biggest struggle of your life, which is your skin color. And then all the people that can change it just don't even acknowledge. Oh no, I don't see it. I'm like, well, bro, you know, personal thoughts for me. Why have I never been hired for a job after being interviewed by white people? It's just like, Folks say, well, systemic racism doesn't exist. I'm like, well, guys, like I'm, I'm almost worth a million bucks now doing it for myself when I was equally as qualified, yet I can't get an entry level job. You know, that's because you don't see color, but you do see color, right? You see everything about my color because you react to it. You're uncomfortable with it. You just don't see through my color. That's what people are saying, man. They, they, everyone sees the color, right? If you don't see the color, you don't you don't look away when I look at you because I look them in the face and it's like, why don't I get that dignity? Either way, man, I don't want to go too deep on that. Nah, but, we're going uh, to go deep. We're going to go deep. Let's get into our let's give a shout out to the sponsors first. 
First of all, we got to give a shout out to Mike's Company, the one and only Dope Coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversation. Next, we got to give a shout out to my brand, Ironbound Boxing, a fitness brand that utilizes the wellness benefits of boxing to transform communities, individuals, and corporate teams, helping them realize their fullest potential. Proceeds from our services fund free amateur boxing programs for inner city youth and young adults. Boom, shout out to Dope Coffee, Ironbound Boxing. Like I always say, our super fan for this show is rocking an Ironbound Boxing hoodie or tee, sipping some dope coffee out of a dope coffee mug while listening to this podcast, you know, um, with a stack of books next to him, curious about the culture, curious about learning about America, and curious about bringing uh, creative ways to improve our communities. That's our super fans out there. So shout out to y'all. Y'all know who y'all are because y'all send us the photos, rocking the dope coffee and Ironbound swag, all right? Now that we got that out the way, Mike, what is the theme of today's show? What What should we call this theme? We should be talking about... The deafening silence in America. Yeah, the deafening silence. I like it. We'll call it that. We're going to call this episode, the theme of this show is the deafening silence. All right, so usually I have a format for that, but we're just going to go raw with it today. And one thing I want to say to just kind of picking back up where we left off is I always felt that the opportunity to not see color is a privilege within itself. You know, like even this is stuff that's going on. Like many of you all out there might not know that, already know this, but uh, I got my master's in American studies and I have my undergrad in history. And so I, I was joking with Mike, I feel like um, my American studies, African American studies background, the stock on that has gone up. Because yeah. so many people, they're just like, I don't know what's going on. How do we get to this point in the country? And guys like us have had to learn American history. And we also had to learn our history, which really should have been American history in the first place. But people chose not to include it. And so this stuff that's going on is nothing new to us. Like this I just, me and Mike were just talking about 1968. There's a report called the Kerner Commission in 1968 after the riots of the 60s of 67 in Newark and some other places. Uh, you know, they commissioned this report to say, hey, what caused this? And it's very similar, almost identical to what we have going on right now. But it's like, why didn't we learn from those lessons, you know, 50, 60 years ago? And even before that, right? Like we've got a whole history documented of what causes this kind of outrage and cities burning and all this kind of stuff. This ain't America's first time dealing with it. It's just mm-hmm. that sadly it took black people in this country being viewed as aborigines by the rest of the world. Right. Me, we're the aborigines of America. <laughs> let me jump in there, man. You say we're the aborigines of America. Here's what I like to call black Americans. We are the canaries in the coal mine, bro. Yeah. See, America is a great place. It's like a coal mine. You can take a lot of good things out of there and use it. I mean, that might not be the most PC argument, right, today. But when something's wrong in the coal mine, who says something first? It's the canary, right? And so in America, when freedom's on the line, that freedom, right, will be oppressed first in 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 the minority communities, in the gay communities, right, in any community of color. Um, and so we're canaries in the coal mine, and that's why I said it's deafening silence out here, bro. We've been shouting. We've been screaming at the top of our lungs. And we, we'd like to talk about the civil rights movement. Guys, let's say the hell with the civil rights movement. You think the first people that were enslaved said, I want this. We have been protesting since the beginning, but we live in a state, frankly, that is built upon violence. and. And therefore, 
they're only violent solutions to problems. Look at what the president is doing right now. Any any request for freedom for more government solution, it just gets more escalation, more tension, more violence entering into that space, man. So the canaries in the coal mine are chirping loud for freedom uh, is going ignored. So I don't know, man. It's funny, too, because, you know, black people, we call it double consciousness. This might be the first time maybe you all on this uh, this podcast might have heard that term before. But we live in a world of double consciousness. Most black people have two, three, four different personalities that they have to have for specific spaces. You know, so like when me and Mike were Marine officers, you better believe how we were in front of everybody else. Like we had a backdoor conversation. It was like you could let your you could take the shell off. You know what I'm saying? Like just different. I mean, if you saw me and Mike right now, just being straight frank, people would not think we're Marine Corps officers, let alone college graduates. I'm just telling you because I experience it when I walk around downtown Newark, when he walks around Atlanta. This is what we've lived with and we share this frustration with. You look at this podcast. How long? What episode are we on? This is what? Episode 14? Yeah, it should be 14. We got 13 episodes talking about this stuff. And then we got Lift As We Climb, which goes before that. So Bro, like, and I have a whole brand that simply exists to say that this is a massive problem that nobody is even paying attention to. You know, yeah. so on our own, we've we've had to deal with these these issues, man. And it's always been frustrating because you don't it's hard for people to understand what it's like to fight for your country, go overseas, you know, see people in another country like Afghanistan get treated better than black people get treated in America by the police, by the police. Dude, you know? People people that say that that's not true. They have never done EPW operations, enemy prisoner of war operations. They have never detained people and held them at gunpoint. And that's the thing that, man, see, I speak on this topic from a very well-qualified position because I've held I've held people that we may have considered to be terrorists, uh, drug dealers, enemy combatants. I've processed and detained those folks. And the one thing that stood out in my mind, we had an incident. It was actually, there was no incident. And that's my point. We were in a situation in Afghanistan where we had just um, we were processing like a, a, some type of like narcotics uh, center or something like that. So just a lot of a lot of folks coming out um, and we're just shaking them down. At one point, uh, one of the members of my unit decided that he was just going to start posing for selfies in a slightly derogatory way with these EPWs. It took about 12 seconds for my gunnery sergeant to absolutely obliterate all thoughts of dehumanizing that person. Cause that's the standard that we upheld. Right. And we come home and in America, it's like the cops just watch. And I get shocked because I, as a Marine officer would prosecute a Marine just for watching. And it's, this is why I said it's deafening silence. This is actually why I'm expecting my brothers that we serve with in combat to speak up because these are the freedoms that we sit in the halls um, at TBS and get lectured on. Right. We talk about the role of the 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 protector in society and we talk about, you know, good versus evil. And, and we and, and it's very easy and it's very clear when those people are brown and they in the Middle East. Right. But when they're at home and they have a USA flag on, uh, we start changing the rules really quickly. And, and I, I don't have a, I used to have a problem speaking out because I felt like being. See, I'm not anti-police, but I'm also not one of those guys that sits in the middle and says, whether well, good police and bad police. I say bullshit because we just only have Marines. 
We don't have good Marines and bad Marines because we deal with all of them. We claim all of them because they are ours, right? We don't duck off or cast off responsibility because it's convenient or politically correct or because the situation's, you know, not favorable to what we're looking for, man. So I, I have a lot of, you know, thoughts and a lot of emotions in terms of what I see when I came home and I couldn't figure out why this would be tolerated when I didn't tolerate it in another country. It's, I don't know. It's a lot to me, man. It's a lot. So y'all know both me and Mike were in combat arms, right? I was infantry officer. Mike was a combat engineer. And on my last episode, if you heard me talking about like African-American males in combat arms as officers is not very high period. So we come to this stuff from an empathetic standpoint of saying like, we know what the hell we're talking about. You know, I've literally had to give an insurgent back his weapon. Yeah. You know, by my, by my CO, right. Told after going there to get the weapons, we had to give it back to him. You know, I've seen insurgents caught trying to blow us up, treated better than we get treated by police. Right. Literally I've seen, I mean, you know, we've gone into hostile zones and we treat the people there better than we treat black people in these neighborhoods. Right. So we're fine. Mike, and, and we treat those people better. Like when we take incoming rounds, we treat them better than black men get treated laying on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I remember just going back to what you said, when I got back to, it's very disturbing for me. And like, was it 2014, 2015 when Michael Brown was killed? And one of the big things was they left his body on the pavement uncovered for like four or five hours. You know, if I was in Afghanistan, do you understand? I, I would have got relieved. I mean, I did get relieved eventually. But what I'm saying was, you can't do that, right? The standard is higher. I remember I did a training op in, um, before I went on deployment, right? I was at the infantry officer school. We did a raid. You know, we had the role players. I remember we caught the guys doing ID, shot them, right? And once we cleared the objective, I left the bodies there on the road. And I told my team to move it. And we moved into the desert. Like clockwork, my instructor said, Lieutenant Stedman, get the F back over here. What the F are you thinking? Leaving bodies in the road, you know? And I knew exactly what to do. I cleaned up the scene. Boom, lesson learned. And we were in Afghanistan. The ROEs were so high, it was comical. I mean, you can look at me and Mike's text messages from Afghanistan, just laughing at how comical some of this stuff was. So to come back to our country and see people who look like us get treated as less than, as subhuman, you know, it it is bothersome as a patriot as a fighter you know just so much stuff and and you know thankfully that we didn't let this make us crazy militant you know but i understand where that mindset comes from we know it listen man when when folks say oh you don't know how it feels i spent at least 30 minutes staring down gun to gun us and a group of Afghanis that we couldn't tell. Like, like folks are sitting there force on force. They got heavy and medium machine guns pointed at my vehicles and we can't tell who's who. Nobody's shooting yet. My, 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 my only, my point is, is that in the middle of a war zone, I am, I can have the, the wherewithal to mentally restrain my men who are asking me, sir, can we fuck them up? <laughs> right. Yeah. They're asking me. And I say, no, <laughs> why not, man? Because I just, in a moment's notice, dude, I could have created an, an international incident, right? Because if we, because if we would have started shooting, who's going to win the shooting war, right? I'm going to win because I, because I have the authority, I have the control, 
right? And that's where that's where that responsibility comes, man. So enough on that for me, but now and there's another thing you said too. I want to bring up because you said Marines would get in trouble just being around something that was happening and not doing something, right? Amen. Amen. Cities are burning right now in America. People out there protesting, talking about. I think they still want the other officers brought up on charges too, right? Forget the Marines. How many black, young black males get locked up for being in vicinity? You know, we don't get that. We don't get that. Uh, we don't get that pass. You know, <clears throat> look at the uh, Central Park. Was it Central Park Five? What was it? You yeah, know, so, yeah, just be around. When they see us, just be around, even in the vicinity, even knowing something that's going on. Right. We get charged with this stuff. So I think that's another frustration people have is like, okay, they didn't, you know, one of the officers didn't necessarily have his knee on them, but you were there. You know, we don't get that pass. See, there's two economies taking place, right? You've got the American economy and then you've got a um, uh, black economy. Correction. You got American society and you got black society. You know, we operate by a different set of rules. Mike, when you were coming up, how many people you hear tell you not to name your kids uh, Tranesha or Tamika or, you know, Zion and all these names that stand out on the job application? I was told not to name my people. We got it. Sorry, I got interrupted. You good? question again and I'll make the chop. Yeah, no, no, you good. You don't even got to chop it. We just keep rolling. Okay. I'm just saying, how many times have you been told not na naming your kids, not, not not naming your kids, giving your kids a black name? Yeah, man, that's common knowledge, right? It, it, it's silly, but they say don't, don't, don't name your kid. That, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a way of life in terms of, I get the name, don't name your kid something that doesn't sound white so that you won't be, so that they, so they opportunities won't be limited. But man, I like to take that mindset and it's just extrapolate it out because you're talking about me right now. See, I think I was raised in that way that says, don't do most things that would come normal to you because you would be viewed upon a certain way. So like, what does that get translated into? Forget the naming for a second, right? Because by the time, if you're concerned about my name on an application, you already so racist that you've already committed 50 other acts, right? Yeah. What it means is don't walk down the street a certain way. Right. What it means is like, don't wear your clothes a certain way. It means everything that you could have about your identity from your name. Like they like we live in a society that is so uh, Eurocentric that our naming our naming system can be held against us. It's like, how do you I how can you create bigotry based off naming conventions? Right. I mean, it's we have hurdles against us that people don't understand. And it goes back to this. When I said it's silence, they say, I don't see color. Bullshit. Do you hear Shaniqua? Right. Do you, do you understand a name when you see, um, I mean, so my nephew, Trey John Malik, you know, like, does, how does that strike you? Do you hear, do you hear, culture right yeah. like i don't know do you sense culture do you get spider-man senses when a black person is in your vicinity right let me tell you man no kidding george floyd just got murdered a couple days ago my mother's excuse me my wife's mother her friend calls her <laughs> frantic because there's a black man she can't identify in her yard right now I, from the description it don't sound like she live on you know three acres it sounds like she lived in like a condo <laughs> you know what i'm saying and it's like <gasps> 
I'm scared. What should I do? You seriously, you call the only black person in your office to ask them what you should do about a black person that you see. Was he doing anything wrong? No. Does he look like he's about to attack you? No. Oh, calls back five minutes later. Oh, he was just going to my neighbor's house. Like people don't get what that means when I don't see color. You see someone outside your house who's not the color that you want to see. And you're, you immediately jump to, I don't know. It's hard for me to understand because until recently, I didn't know exactly how many things were being held against me. I just thought it was my skin, but coming to find out, it almost seems like everything about us is, is negative. Everything is something that's wrong. Right. It's funny too, because I'm, I started this podcast to help me articulate my thoughts for a book of the same name called confessions of a native son. And I'm actively working on that first episode, the first essay titled confessions of a native son as well. And the argument I was making well before this protest broke out, well before the death of George Floyd was that black culture Black being is viewed as inferior in America from our education, our businesses, who we are, how we speak, all these different things are viewed as negative. Right. And when you have that negative view, this is the kind of stuff that empowers, you know, police officers to go into our communities and treat us as such. This is what empowers, you know, businesses to not hire us based off the color of our skin. Right. This assimilation mindset. Black people are the only culture that they 100 percent want to assimilate into society, American society. All these other groups. Right. They have their Saturday schools. They meet. They have their, uh, you know, I'll give you an example, JCC, Jewish Community Centers. They have their schools. You've got um, people from India. They meet on Saturdays. They have their school. You know, they protect their culture. But black culture is viewed as so negative, you know, and it's Deep perpetuated. Back. Can I interrupt you there? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to share a thought. This might be shocking to some people. I don't actually think they view black culture as that threatening. I actually have a very inverse viewpoint on why that is. I think that I'm not, and understand, I'm not talking, I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about some individual white person. I'm talking about what I would kind of call the collective right. national psyche of white America, right? I think that for them, the sins were so egregious that it's hard to confront in, in a, in a reality where you would not just almost implode mentally from the weight of it. And I, I understand that, right. Cause it's 2020 and a lot, some of these things we're talking about happened in 1620. So I get the, I get the, the, the dramatic nature of the situation, but this, this is very much a human problem, right? It's a human issue. Slavery injustice are supposed to be, are supposed to be things that humans have transcended, but we keep seeing far too often that we have not transcended it. I mean, there's so much slavery going on in the present day world that it's hard for us to, it's hard for me to keep looking back and going, oh yeah, that's something that like happened, right? So I think what's happening in America is just that, where would you start, right? And, and, and quite frankly, if you don't see color, if you haven't, let's just, let's just say you haven't seen color since 1960, right? That's a real thing for you. That means you skipped the televised murder and brutalization of a whole culture. You skipped it because you didn't see it. I think people like keeping their eyes closed, right? So I think that, that, that for a lot of folks, you would have to acknowledge that, hey, the culture that I come from has done some terrible things. That does not mean 
that I, as an individual, am a terrible person. This is very hard to draw that distinction from people. Um, I have theories on what it would take to, because all this is about reconciliation at the end of the day, right? It's about reconciliation. Who has not gotten an argument? Who hasn't made up? The problem is America keeps crushing the argument. We're crushing and suppressing the argument never gets had. And there's just fuel. fuel. George Floyd, God, rest his soul. That man... I look back, I look at you because I'm, you know, we bring up history and I go, man, it, I, I might lose folks on this, but I think of Franz Ferdinand, right? The assassination of Franz Ferdinand beginning uh, World War One. He's a spark. And everybody want to talk about, oh, they, assass- they assassinated the Archduke, right? Okay. Y- y'all wasn't ready to go to war already for, for a decade preceding this? The situation had already been politically, socially, and economically aligned such that this oppression that was already taking place, that the, the oppression that was taking place had, had laid the foundation, right, for conflict, just like in America. So I, when I look out, I say, hey, folks, you know, all those bombings in the 60s, the fires in the 60s, the, the church burnings in the 70s, the crosses, the, the, the Jim Crow, the you can't even touch my water fountain, this, this is a history of trauma, right? It's trauma. <laughs> It's history of trauma, bro. We know what trauma does. Veterans commit suicide every day from the trauma that we uh, get inflicted upon us on the battlefield. And I'm going to go all the way out and say this. No, I was not. I was not in the deepest, you know, most horrendous and, and gruesome combat ever. So I, I reserve a lot of respect for those guys. But what I will say is this. The trauma. Well, and this is what the, this is why Afghanistan got me so bad is because the trauma that I felt. In Afghanistan from that, after I decompressed from it, I was like, this ain't shit compared to what it's like back home. And for folks that can't understand that, bro, they, they literally like never, they, they just can't, they couldn't fathom because they don't have this skin. I'm like, dude, I love my country more than all of y'all. And none of y'all considered me to be the American guy. Um, and I that's, think real. that's real. Yeah. Even going back to what you're saying about PTSD, there are more kids in the inner city that have PTSD from yep. the trauma that you're talking about and the trauma from living in these neighborhoods. You know, it's real easy to say, oh, black on black crime. And that's the kind of stuff people say to us. Well, more black people kill each other than, than this and black people, this and black people that listen, if you put a bunch of poverty stricken, you know, people in a neighborhood, cut them out of the traditional economy, right? They're going to create their own economy. Like the, like the drug trade, they're entrepreneurs. Guess what? Guys like us view them as entrepreneurs. Most people view them as criminals. Yeah. But I tear, I'm telling you because I work with them, right? If they lived in another life, if they were in another neighborhood, they'd be CEO of a company or something, right? Mike, without extreme luck being that I had yeah. top 1% athletic talent, I, that's what I would be doing, bro. I mean, like, let's keep it real. Like, the 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 difference in this, bro, I have, I have gone back to my own community since started going, wait, we got God, we got, we got genius level talent all around us. But even I haven't seen it because I didn't recognize it. Because even for myself, bro, I have viewed everything good about me as bad. And you talk about that a lot, man. Yeah. Everything that's, that, that you do that's good, they call it bad. And then you end up having to view yourself through that lens 
because it's real. People say, well, you can you can still believe what you want to believe. Well, no, you can't. Not when it's in the movies, the newspapers, not when it's in the textbooks. Exactly. Not everything about you is reinforced through every form of legitimate culture or at least what you consider to be, you know, legitimate culture. It's it's hard to break yourself from that. Um, and that's why I say being right. We're not just talking about oh where you work or that. No, it's your being that's viewed. Right. Let's be quite frank. For true. A lot of people grow up in single parent homes in this country. Right. A lot of us sometimes live in challenging neighborhoods. And from the very beginning, we get labeled as disadvantaged, at risk. You know, that mentality, that stigma and that carries with you everywhere you go, you know, and to the point to where, you know, I mean, going back to my last episode, right, when I talked about my experience at IOC, the worst thing that happens to us, honestly, is for us to make all this sacrifice, whether it's in school, professional, business, whatever, to be a part of this tribe, to be a part of this this culture dominated by, you know, white society, and they still don't accept you after that, you know? Like, to go through what I went through at IOC and to still have peers that say, you're still not one of us, you know? That's the trick, that's the trickery of what we have to face. And you know what it's like to have to go home psychologically with that mentality and understanding every day yeah. of your life? Yeah, I'm about to get I'm about to get all on this, Mike. I'm about to get all on this. Yeah. Man, my time, because I, I have never really spoken about this publicly. I mean, my time, my, my last job before I left the Marine Corps, I will say this. If there's anything that held me back from success, it was Christmas and country music. And what I mean by that is it's like, Christmas means something different, honestly, to white folks than it means to black folks. They got traditions that I don't understand. And country music, I don't listen to. I'm not against it. I'm not against either one of them, frankly. It's just that culture and the and what and the, how I was not a part of that. Like, no, you're not you're not on the team because you don't you don't do these things, that you don't know these things, that you don't live this type of lifestyle. I'm like, I'm the only person here that actually been in combat <laughs> that actually put his body on the line for his country. Why am I the guy being viewed as not the team? You know, I am the team on the future of the team. Cause we look at the Marine Corps 50, hundred years from now, and it's going to look a lot more like me and a lot less like whoever this guy is that thinks that Ah, it's hard to say that like a white tight Marine Corps is what we should be shooting for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I just ain't about the Marine Corps. It's about, it's about just, it's all of this, bro. It's hard to, is we, we live on these intersections, man. That's why this show is important because it gives guys like us an opportunity to articulate these thoughts. This is heavy stuff. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of years worth of stuff in a little podcast episode, but I think what we need to reinforce with people is if you think, that a police officers are the only ones with their knees on the backs of black people's necks in this country. You are highly mistaken. Okay. All these companies right now that are sending out these press releases saying we stand in solidarity with our people, with black people in this country. You should have been standing in solidarity with us. This ain't the first time. You know, who didn't have to put a message out about standing in solidarity, bro. Nike. Well, yes. Companies that already stand. Right. Like, bro, I was already willing to go to war for you. <laughs> Why were you not already willing to go to war for me? Already willing. I, it, we, why does why the country got to burn down? Exactly. And I feel uh, like even these these messages that are coming out, they're just very capitalistic. You know, your black employees see these emails, they go, mm, mm. guys like me and Mike are like, oh, you stand with us? Show us your C-suite. Show yeah. us your board members. You know, even our our liberal side of the house, right? All these 
institutions that work and uplift people of color in the inner city, hey, show us your board of directors. Yeah. You know, how many people do you have from the community that you're targeting in leadership positions within your org? You know, yeah. how, how many black people work at your company or your firm that don't work entry level positions and don't work maintenance and all this other stuff? So it's real easy to look at a police officer and like, oh, my God, we're not like them. That's not us. But then you look at your room around your room and you realize, shit, we're dictating policy for people of color in our own co in our own company. And we don't even have anyone here. Bullshit. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And see, the, see, but this, 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 this is the dangerous part of this conversation, because then people will point to affirmative action. Right. I, and then it's easy for me because I just keep going like, guys, shut up talking about affirmative action. Let's just talk about performance. People don't even get the opportunity to perform in this country to show that they have the talent. When would we ever like folks just folks have a hard time understanding how widespread the system is. And you pointed it out by corporate America wanting to point their finger at the police. I'm like corporate America. You you are the system that requires police. Right. And I'm not against capitalism, but frankly, out here in these streets right now, police are guarding property and property is a part of capital capitalism. Excuse me. Right. I mean, sure, there's property and other uh, economic form, other economic systems, but property in a capitalistic society has more value than life. That's why they was able to shoot a mod Aubrey and think it was no big deal, not because the man stole something, but because they thought that he was going to still deface, burglarize, or do something to property. It was always, well, but he went into a house that he was trespassing. Like, trespassing is, that's called walking onto something, right? That's temporary, you're temporarily breaching something. Can you imagine, uh, let's go back to Afghanistan, a little kid walks up the road of your father, that's my road, shoot him, light him up, get him with a 240 and chop his whole body up. Now, this is really not tolerated, you know? Like property, and I understand that. I'm a small business owner, right? I'm a small business owner who has seen their business decimated in a matter of hours. I get it, right? I was hit by Hurricane Florence 2019 or 2018. I, I get it. Property is not more valuable than human life. And I'm going to say property, property should not be protected by the state when there's a constitutional free speech demonstration taking place. I don't get, I mean, we can rebuild anything. It's, it's a lack of values. And, and, I, and I say this because corporations, corporations value private property, right? It's the only way to uh, amass and accumulate. Well, I don't care if we're talking about intellectual property or if we're talking about physical, you know, real property. Um, that's, that's the whole problem with this system, Mike. I mean, until, until George can be worth more than what's on the balance sheet, like we're, we're trying to convince people that think, property is more valuable than life. You're going to have a hard time saying, Hey man, just cause you, if your name's Shanika, like that also should be viewed as, as equal. Like if, if property is worth more than Shanika, like Shanika's name is definitely worth less than Sally's name. Right. I know I'm all over the place, but it's oh, you're good, man. And I think it's also important knowing too, there are probably people listening to this podcast that are uh, Caucasian. I'm just call it white. Right. But there's a lot of black people on this podcast too that listen and I want everybody to know, too, that the thing that systematic oppression, racism stuff, it's not just what happens to us. It's also what we do to each other. So, you know, there are black people in America who are guilty of having their knees on the necks of other black people as well. You know, 
not giving them opportunities, right? You got a lot of people now, all of a sudden, they found their solidarity. Well, they should have been had that solidarity too, you know? You've got more white people in this country, to be quite frank, that have done more for black people than our own people have done. So no, it's it's a whole, it's a mess. But you know, I want to I want to touch on that side of it too, man. Look, I'm not going to excuse it, and and here's why, man. Look, I'm actually going to tell you who I've been studying that is that has become they become very profound, and this is hard to say because they got their own issues. Jewish people, Jewish community, right? They there's a lot of solidarity, there's a lot of trauma, but a lot of healing in that community, right? So they 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 they've taken a journey, and it's you got to take a look at what they've done, and I say that. Because you made the comment about black people and how we look at each other, I'm going to tell you one thing that that I think is a little bit different. Um, I I know that in Nazi Germany there was there was some Jew turning on Jew, right? But that was more of self preservation in the moment, I, and I understand that, and I'm not I'm not trying to judge those folks. What I think has happened with a lot of black people in America, I was I was talking to a brother the other day, uh, a good friend, Deron said, hey, man, tell me what, tell me your thoughts about this other brother. Because right now in the middle of George Floyd being murdered by police, he's talking about, well, no, guys, the problem is Black Lives Matter, right? And I mean, this is, this could be, <laughs> I know you shake, you're shaking your head and that's a tense, it's a tense statement to make. And I said, look, yo, I understand that. But people have a level of social maturity. Um, and, and that's not to say, I think social maturity is different than age, right. Than like how long you've been alive. Me being 35 as a man means that some things I know how to pay bills and drive a car and, and do some simple thing, adult things. Right. But socially, my, I'm a 35 year old male socially. I'm about 17. I just started realizing that because I, I because society has treated me like a child. And so you have some black people that are not far along in their social development. In fact, they're so stuck. And this is, I should not, I'm not necessarily trying to judge their, their, their ideas or their thoughts, but they're so stuck because of the system that's been put in place to reinforce that they themselves should believe whatever the other side is telling them about this. So that they want to convince you that you should also believe it. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. If we were to rip every black person up who thought that we would, we would literally be fighting against ourselves. What we should do is be patient because quite frankly, like there's a lot of white folks in America going, holy shit, I need to wake up. It's a lot of black people. My own mother says, oh, I got to start taking this serious. I'm like, what do you mean? You got to start taking this is is always been here. And so I think we need a level of patience um, in all communities, black, especially the black revolutionaries like ourselves. And, I, and that folks can sound that, that those words can sound scary. They're not. Right. I, I keep telling folks like, no, no, no. Revolt. This is the revolution. If we're talking about a systematic level of oppression, because this is where we skip talking about black. And I'm going to keep talking black because I got a company about black folks. But I want to I want to get more into strategy. Blacks, Jews, um, Native Amer the Native Americans, especially um, the indigenous folks of all the Americas. All these folks are here. They need to they need to be looking at all of this. Right. And saying, how are we aligning? against a system of ideas how are we revolting against a system of ideas right quite frankly white folks aren't going to revolt against their own system of ideas right mm -hmm. so everyone wants it to be nice and friendly like to like in three weeks like white america is going to be super awesome um in terms of how they interact with us that's not the reality it's going to be long hard reconciliation 
over decades, if not hundreds. I mean, that energy from 400 years don't go away overnight, right? Let you might convince you, me. Let me tell you, Newark had its riots in 68. It's still healing. Had mm-hmm. its riots in 67. Still healing. You know how many people left the inner city after that? <laughs> Newark turned black overnight after those riots. Yeah. And we're still healing as a country. So I, I agree with you. I think we're going to be healing as a nation for a long time. And just to piggyback on Mike's point about being a black revolutionary, um, this might be surprised to a lot of y'all, but we're very, very well versed. You know, like <laughs> I got, I mean, if you saw, to be honest, if the FBI came in my apartment, <laughs> you know, they might lock me up. Not that I have any like, crazy thing, whatever, but just like the books I have, like I do read about Huey Newton. I do read about the Black Panthers. I do read about people that history tells me is radical, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to understand their perspective and where they're coming from. And guess what, gents? A lot of their stuff is pretty much the same stuff. Like they told us what was going to happen. Like you can go pull up the, go pull up the video on YouTube of Malcolm X talking about police brutality in the 60s. Told you exactly what was going to happen and why it happens. Go read up about the Black Panthers, right? Right now, everybody's saying police need to have uh, body cams. Black Panthers were like, yo, we need armed patrols. You know, Mm -hmm. if they're going to come into our communities and police, we need to be there to see, to make sure people are protected. They used to drive around with law books in the front seat. So that way, when they got pulled over, they could reference the law, you know? And for those that think like we're talking crazy, I mean, look at the, another thing too is like the criminalization of black people, the militarization of the police force. Look at what happened in Michigan, right? Guys rolled up with uh with AR-15s and flak jackets and all that kind of stuff. Can you honestly tell me a group of black people can roll up, you know, to our nation's capital like that? You know? We'd be mowed down in the streets. Yeah, and the, even the police response, right? Police would, I mean, look at, I mean, these are, it's crazy, man. Even in Atlanta, Mike, your town. Like, how... I can never imagine tasing a woman. Like, how do you think that's accepted? Like, what part of that is a good idea for you? You know, literally tasing a female in a hoodie and some running shorts? On the road. On the road, yanking her out of her car? Atlanta. Like, let's talk about about that incident. Let's talk about it. And those were black police officers, too, which goes back to what I was saying. I want to go deep in off that black police. I want to go deep. I want to go deep on him. Yeah would look to be a six foot three, perhaps 250 pound black man with a billy club beating on the windows of a person driving perhaps three miles an hour. Right. Beating, beating, beating. No hostile actions. No hostile. They're in traffic. They're in fucking traffic. Yeah, it ain't going nowhere. Here's my take on it, Mike. Here's my take to keep it all the way real. See, lines are being drawn inside of the police departments all across America today. Lines are being drawn. Who you with? Bro, I was an anti-terrorism officer. The FBI has been publishing reports. It's not new information. Hey, mm-hmm. white supremacists, they're invading the police force. They have a legit plan to take over the police. And when we see it play out, and this is, this is the problem with white America, and I tell you, like, they're, they're so intentionally blind. When they see it, they go, <gasps> that was really bad. That one cop was bad. I'm like, guys, like, this is the scheme. They're they're literally running in, in front of your face, and you're so stupid that you're watching it and thinking it's something different. I mean, that's that's like trickery fascism 101, right? Let the people see something, and it's completely different, right? Um, yeah, you you were talking about revolution. Um, 
I, it's interesting, man. I kind of have, I have, I have a lot of those books and I have some different books. Um, we taught in the Marine Corps constantly to, uh, estimate the situation, right? We do a Met T constantly update your estimation of what's going on around you. Right. Uh, I have actually gone back. Well, frankly, I'll put it out there because we're talking a lot of heavy race this morning. We, we all we study a lot of black history and I've been challenging my friends. Dude, I get it. You already know all your black history. Study some white history. OK, because if you if you take a look at at their culture um, and, and if anybody who thinks this is this is this is inappropriate to talk about what they've done is deliberately put those blinders on to what just happened starting in the year 1900 up through the Holocaust. Right. Americans then deliberately did the same. Oh, there's no way this could be happening. There's no way it could be happening. Those are conspiracy theories. There would be more evidence. Right. The same was saying the same thing to the Jews. I mean, those those reports were chirping out of Europe already. Right. Um, Hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. And I'm, I'm telling guys, like, why are you not just studying the history? They write books about how to do this to societies, to nations, to communities. They talk about, they create new models of economic activity to just exploit entire continents. I mean, it, this isn't, I, I say this to say like we're dealing with a culture that is good at being hostile, right? I used to feel bad saying that, right? Because your oppressors a lot of times can make you feel bad for not wanting to be oppressed, right? I used to feel bad for saying, yeah, I would really like it if, you know, there wasn't um, as much European involvement in the African continent, right? Yeah. That used to make me feel bad. Like I was too radical for saying that. Um, no, man, we need to, we need to be, but I want to go back to the cop. I think what happens is with that cop, lines are being drawn and folks want to prove their allegiance and loyalty. How else do you explain the dramatic, just overuse of force to see a car that's barely rolling no one's obviously resisting anything. And you just you're using non-lethal munitions for one. And you go like you're on a on a on a uh, raid. You know, they're all just standing on the side of the road and everybody's coming out all alert like that. I mean, you, you guys all have tasers and it's and you're moving like you're some, you know, uh, special forces dude getting ready to take down exactly. Osama bin Laden, bro. Militarization, man. And the other thing we know about Marines is the minute you point your weapon at somebody, you better be prepared to use it. That's what they yeah. teach us in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Like, you don't, there, there's no more warning shots and all that kind of stuff because you've already escalated the situation. So when incidents happen in like Georgia with Ahmaud Arbery, yeah, he was caught on a property that wasn't his. Doesn't mean he should get shot for it, you know? And if I'm running down the street and I see somebody with a gun, I'm probably going to try to take the gun from him. Yeah. You know, Unless you wait to get killed. Yeah, you just escalate a situation. And if people are saying, well, Mike and you guys are just so fired up, where's all this passion coming from? We have witnessed black people in this country die for broken taillights, yep. parking tickets. You know what? The guy, $20. I'm just going to say it. Bullshit. For bullshit. For bullshit. Right? For guy mm -hmm. like Dylan Roth. Is that his name? The guy in South Carolina? Murder a whole church of black people. They take them to McDonald's on the way back. You know, yeah. it's like these black people, you know, I understand like the militarization of the police force. It's not like black people are, you know, uh, uh, arming militias and attacking the state capital and all that. If that was the case, all right, maybe you can see the escalation of force. But we're talking about like right now you're seeing on TV protesters, 
You know, like, why are you flacked up? Why are you kitted up? Okay, you get hit with a rock. Are you going to die? You know? They scared for a reason. I'm going to go all the way out there and say it, because you know me, I despise Donald Trump. He's scared. And he has created a posture amongst his, and it's sad that I'm going to say this because it sounds like I'm talking about a dictatorship. He has created a posture amongst his security forces because they're scared. Because anybody who knows, you show, you put that picture up of you talking to that little kid in Afghanistan for a reason, because that may have been just what saved your life, quite frankly, being humane towards the people that you were, because you were doing more of a policing action, right? When you're on patrol in a a counterinsurgency environment, you're more like police. And, you know, you interacted at the human level. But these cats want to come out in riot gear to people just talking. Um, The president is scared. Okay. The, the, first of all, I want to I want to put that out there. The president of the United States is scared. That should tell you something about not not uh, the people of the United States of America. If it, quite frankly, the people of the United States of America are acting with a decent amount of civility given the gravity of the situation. What it shows is he knows that we don't follow him, right? Yeah. That's that's why you escalate from the police. Fine. He should be scared, right? Because we don't want him. Right. He he. And that's the thing. Let's back up. Trump, before he's elected, he's already he's already fanning the flames. Most folks skipped over this statement when he said it, especially had a lot of white friends that got mad at me when I called him out for saying this. He said, black people, you should just vote for me because you have nothing to lose. And listen, listen to that mindset from coming from a presidential candidate. He acknowledged it. You guys have nothing to lose. Because your life is so terrible that voting for me is your best option. He, bro, they put it out there right in front of us. Yeah, hidden in plain sight again. Plain sight, man. This is where this is where I tell us to wake up, and this is where I would encourage. Dude, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna make a. Uh, I would encourage. I I was not someone who was supportive of Joe Biden. However, Trump has shown himself to be so different. Not that it matters to me what he does to the rest of America, but it's actually gotten to the point now it's going to destroy us along with it, right? We owe it to just resist. If, if you care about George Floyd, I'm not saying vote because of that. I'm saying vote because the, the fool in the White House is going to unleash the police on us. We've already seen what they're doing. They're, beat, they're literally beating reporters. I watched, the same, I watched a video of two Australian police officers or uh, reporters getting beaten by the police. Now, I understand why what was happening. They were clearing the area. Why they were clearing the area is disgusting. But I saw that. And then I saw that the police was on a rampage. You know, like in the old video games, when you yeah. start doing your combo, you don't stop until it's over. Yeah. So he thrashes the reporter. The other cop grabs him, kind of says, that's a reporter. Signals the reporters away. The same cop that signaled the reporters away literally has his baton hitting at the reporters as they're walking away. I'm like, guys, they on Twitter doing that. What you think they doing to black folks outside, you know, wherever, right. where no cameras rolling? Um, militarization of the police is the state acknowledging that they haven't taken care of the problem yet. Yeah. That's my. And another thing I'll say, too, I can't speak for Mike. When I was in Afghanistan, we had tons of riots. You know, a kid step on an ID or something, boom. What do you think happened? Riot, protest, right? And you know what we and my did, Marines did? Nothing, right? We sat there, you know, we made sure we were protected, and we watched. We didn't go out there and spark the flames or nothing like that, you know? And we probably honestly built more credibility with it. And so, again, we're not coming from a sense of, like, we don't know what the hell we're talking about. I'm just telling you all we do things different 
in countries we deploy to than we do here in our own. And if you're conservative and you're for America, there's no reason you should be pushing for the militarization of the police, right? We it's just it's just my humble opinion, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and uh, get ready to close this out too cuz we got first of all, we got hundreds and hundreds of years of black stuff to talk about. So we're going to come back on here um but for everyone listening to this podcast, you all know the neighborhoods. They're on the other side of the track in the south. I'm from Texas, on the other side of the train track. Hell, here in Newark, other side of the train track. Detroit, Baltimore, the ghettos, the hoods, all these places where black and brown people live. Guess what? Our grandmas live there. Our families live there. They're human. They're Americans. They work at your stores. They work in your businesses. We live there. They're Americans. Just because they come to, I don't know, McKinsey downtown or Goldman Sachs and take out the trash or something. Guess what? They still go back to those neighborhoods. That's what they call home. This, those are American citizens. Okay. And they're tired and they're fed up of watching people that look like them get abused by people that are supposed to protect them. Black people in this country, we already didn't have a lot of respect. I'm going to say respect. We also didn't have a lot of confidence from our justice system. Because between policing and mass incarceration, which is a whole separate topic, right? But tied, we already had very little confidence in the justice system. I can't speak for everyone, but I would be hard pressed that the majority of black people in this country have zero confidence in the justice system. I would never stake my life or liberty on our justice system. I wouldn't do it. That's just facts. That's from a patriot. That's a patriot right there. This is a guy building, you know, economic infrastructure in Atlanta. This is a veteran service country. This is an offer. officer, Marine officer. This is what he's telling you as a black Marine officer, that he doesn't trust the justice system. I'm telling you, I don't trust the justice system. I sure as hell don't trust the justice system to do right by me or my kids here in Newark. Because I know how they're criminalized just for being them. Black people, see what black people want, black people just want to be accepted. That's all we want. We want to be accepted. And it's hard to do that with the way we're looked at as inferior in this country, in business, education, in life. Our very being is looked at as inferior. It's not. You don't believe me? Ask a black woman. Ask her how it makes her feel to straighten her hair. Or how many times she's had people want to touch her hair. Or how she can't get a job because of how she's naturally born, God-given into this world with her hair. That's a thing. And we say, you can't work here because of your hair. The Marine Corps is guilty of it. The military is guilty of it. This is how you are God-made, born from the room. And you're saying that this is not acceptable here. That is a problem, and it's deeper than just a police officer with his knee on the back of the neck of George Floyd. America has its knee on the backs of black people in this country, and it has for hundreds of years. And I'm sorry you all are just now seeing it, and it's making you feel uncomfortable, but we've lived with it. We've heard your snidey comments while the black people sit together. Oh, there's only three of us in the company. Goddamn. You know? Why do they do things different? Why do they isolate themselves? Because you won't accept us. You view us as inferior. We got to be extra careful. We can't make the mistakes you make. We have to be extra careful. Even this whole president. Could you imagine if a black president was in charge right now? You know how much y'all would crucify us? 
do the, the last the last president passed affordable care that is arguably saving a lot of Americans right now. And he was treated with contempt <laughs> over his skin color, his name, and what some thought was his religion, <laughs> if that tells you. So we I'm going to one of the last things I'll say is we sh- we sh- we should all just go on Twitter and tweet at President Barack Obama and just say, thank you, bro. We didn't appreciate you enough. Mm. That's Mike's closing marks. I'm going to leave you all with I'm going to leave you all with this with. um, I'm going to leave you all with these closing remarks. Um, America. Is got to do some healing, but before we can do some healing, we got to do some self-awareness. And y'all think I'm joking when I say that the cops aren't the only ones with their knee. It's true. Right? Look around. Look at your surroundings. Um, you've seen how black people have been treated in this country. Many people have turned a blind eye. I can't breathe isn't even a new statement. That's recycled from like six years ago. Black Lives Matter isn't a new statement. That's recycled from like six years ago. So all the stuff that people thought was a myth Right. It shouldn't take nine minutes. I'm, I'd be willing to bet if that video was 30 seconds, people would still say, oh, there's more there. What more yeah. do you need to see? It's like, damn, bro, we need nine full minutes of it. Fine. And that's a and that's a problem, you know, um, man, Mike, any more closing remarks? I know we, just, we I know we hit them a lot. We know we hit them with a lot today. I, I got one closing thought, man. I would tell folks. First of all, I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, I'm, I have reached a point in my life where I'm slightly unbothered by what people think of these thoughts. Um, we as black people owe ourselves to also be able to look past uh, some of this, not, I'm, and I'm not even talking about forgiveness at this point. I'm saying just look past so we can also see our own brighter future, which we won't see if we fixate on what others are doing, right? So that's just, I would also, and cause I could be mad about all this, but then I also tell myself, I gotta focus on the future. I appreciate that. That's a good point, Mike. And I'll let y'all know too. I got one more last remark. I've probably received a hundred phone calls, full of inbox, Facebook, LinkedIn. I appreciate the messages y'all, but I will tell you the only people calling me for being black are white people. The only people calling to check on me for being black are white people. I haven't received any calls from black people talking about guilt or anything else because we've been living with it. And again, I know it might make some of y'all feel uncomfortable, you know, that you're having to see America for what it is and what it's done to so many people in this country. Go back and listen to the other episodes of Native Son, Confessions of a Native Son. We talk about it. We're building up to it. You know, and I'm sorry that it makes you uncomfortable, but we've been living it. And I don't got to call Mike and say, I'm sorry, Mike, that you're black. <laughs> you know, I don't feel sorry for Mike being black. Right. Um, but I, I say that to say, I appreciate the calls, but understand the only people calling black people for this stuff are white people. Black people are calling each other, talking about how y'all are calling us. That's what's going on right now. So we got a lot to we got a lot to learn, America. I'm gonna I'm here. We've been here. This ain't new. We're gonna help give you insight in how we think about stuff. 
right? We're going to talk about our black experience, race, culture, and business. That's what this podcast is set up for. I know we went on a little bit of a rant today and got deep, but I just want you to hear some raw, some raw emotion. These are what how we feel off cuff about it. And we're going to do some deeper dives in future episodes. But I just want, I thought it was important for me and Mike to get on here, share ourselves with you a little bit instead of just kind of, you know, because we just get hit so much. What do you think? What do you think? Now I'm just going to be like, go listen to my podcast. Yeah, just this will tell you what it, what you think. And I also give you all a plug. If you want to know what, if you want to know what leads to riots like this, look to the Kerner Commission of 1968. It's a federal report commissioned by Lyndon B. Johnson after the riots in the 60s. It found police brutality, discrimination, lack of economic opportunities, a firestorm of sparks that led to the riots in the 60s that happened all across the country. This ain't new. This has happened. America has been through this before. We just ain't learned from it. So if you're about change and you really want to, you know, learn and how you can create solutions, go look at that Kerner Commission. It will tell you everything that you need to know for what led to those riots. All right. First of all, uh, let's wrap this up, man. Mike, again, appreciate you coming on the platform and uh, sharing your insights with us. Oh, man, I really appreciate it. I had a good time with you today. We got to do it again. We're going to do another episode. But, you know, for this one, I just think we need to get something out there, you know. Um, for those of you all that are listening, be sure to subscribe and support this podcast by giving us five stars and leaving a review on iTunes. Also for this show to anyone in your network who you are feel, who you feel identifies with the subject matter. Also order some dope coffee from www.realdopecoffee.com. We've got to start supporting our black businesses. Here's a great one right here. Mike Lloyd, CEO and founder. We're actually in the midst of a fundraising round. We've raised $45,000 of our 107k target. We're excited about this investment round, and I highly encourage all my friends and family to make an investment with Dope Coffee. You can invest for just as much as, for as little as much as $250. Also, be sure to donate to www.ironboundboxing.org. Every donation allows us to support free amateur boxing programs for youth and young adults in low-income communities. Boxing is wellness, and that's why we're providing free workouts for these communities. Between our corporate clients and free classes, we're running upwards of 15 classes a week, you can donate and support the cause at www.ironboundboxing.org. Also, I'm announcing on this show, Mike and I are hosting a pitch competition for Newark youth and uh, recent graduates this summer. We're going to give them a cash prize. We're going to give a crash prize of, of a minimum of $1,000 to the winner and $500 to the runner-up. Depending on how much money we're able to raise for this pitch competition, we might be able to give out more cash prizes to Newark youth and young adults. And oh, by the way, we had this plan before the riots, before the pandemic. Why? Because we've been about the culture. We've been in the trenches and we've been about creating opportunities. That's a humble brag. So for all these people out there that are saying, I wish I could do more, like this is a great example. Support us. Help us blow up this pitch competition. We're going to give some kids a great opportunity to uh, build, uh, to pitch their small business idea. Feel free to message me on LinkedIn. You can shoot me an email at Mike at We Are Ironbound. Again, special shout out to Mike for coming on the show. My co-producer, brother from another mother. I appreciate you. Shout out to Gifted Sounds Network for hosting this on their platform. You're rooting for everybody that's black. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. <laughs>